Welcome back to One on One, New York's longest running sports call in show. I'm Tom Quigley, sitting beside Kelly Bright. And right now, we're going to bring in yet another WFUV alum to the show an NBA, NFL, and college basketball play by play announcer for CBS, Spira Didis. Spira, thanks so much for joining us and uh, welcome back to the show. Hey guys, what a pleasure. It's good to be back on one on one and uh, and good to see you guys doing your thing. Yeah, we love we, we already had uh, Ralph uh, Russo on earlier, another WFUV alum. So it's mm. always great to get you guys back to learn from you guys. Um, so that's kind of where I want to start, uh, because after your years at WFUV, uh, you you joined WFAN right out of school. Um, mm. In addition to some other big name gigs like calling games for the New Jersey Gladiators the Arena Football League, occasional New Jersey Nets games when they're in New Jersey from the S Network. In your experience, how is the transition from working on college broadcasts at WFUV to joining some of the biggest networks in, you know, one of the largest sports markets in the world? Well, first of all, to, to think back to those first days of, of getting to Fordham as a freshman and you know, at that stage of life, you're, you're just, you're full of hope. Um, you're, you're intimidated, you know, you're going to this, this new gigantic world of, of thousands of students and you're trying to fit in. Um, I was a little bit late bloomer in terms of uh, being emotionally mature at that age. So th there was a lot of forces that were kind of converging on me at that point. But when I got to Fordham, when I first walked into Keating Hall, and obviously the, the biggest reason I went to Fordham was because of FUV, but walking into the place for the first time, um, getting the lay of the land, and then realizing the opportunities that we had at our fingertips there, it, it, was, it was like being in a fantasy land, you know, this fantasy world of, of opportunity. And from day one, all I cared about, you know, I put my, all my schoolwork to the side, I remember, you know, I wasn't even buying textbooks after a certain point in my freshman year because I was so obsessed with the radio station and just getting back there. If they had a bed or a place to sleep, I probably would have been sleeping there at night. But it was it was such an amazing opportunity and, and place and the people and the workshops we had with with legends like Marty Glickman and then getting to meet all the pros and, and Mike Breen and Chris Carino and Michael Kay and Bob Papa, all guys who had been my broadcast heroes. So that experience first was amazing. And then when I stepped out uh, after graduation, you know, you're, you're still, you feel like you're ready, even though looking back, my guy, you know, I can't believe that people actually gave me work and jobs at that point, because I, I don't think I was ready. And I listened to tapes of what I sounded like. And it's like, uh, it's like torture. Um, <laughs> But it was just, it was like stepping out into this new world. I did really feel prepared. Um, I felt like I had had this unbelievable four-year period of training to the point where I remember my senior year, you know, going to cover the Knicks at the Garden with the great um, access we had to all the pro teams in New York, feeling like I was a real-world reporter. You know, I'd walk up to the D train, take the subway down to uh, to Midtown, walk into the garden feeling like I was, you know, a reporter for MSG Network or a print writer for the Daily News, and I was living out my dream. So I had walked through it in my head. And then once I graduated and started getting opportunities like um, being a fill in update anchor at the fan, even though you're still, my God, intimidated, you're, you're walking into F2 FAN, you're, you know, there's Mike Francesa. Um, I would actually do a couple of overnight updates. So I would be just getting in 
or I'm sorry, I would be finishing my shift as Don Imus would be walking into the studio, into the, the building. And of course, many of your listeners will remember who Don Imus was, you know, just okay. a guy larger than life. And um, so it, it was just, it, it was surreal. It was exciting. Uh, it was, it was euphoric. It was all of those things. Yeah. You, I mean, obviously WTV has had such a big impact on your career. Uh, I would love to know two, one do you still take that training that you got in FUV into into your work life today? And also, do you still keep in touch with the kids that were in your training group and, and your the other classmates you had at FUV? Obviously, it's a very successful network. I mean, we're talking to you today. We talked to Ralph Russo earlier, and, mm. and you mentioned some of the big names that obviously all of us look up to. How much has that FUV network impacted you throughout your career, whether that is just friend, friendships or even just connections helping you move from place to place? Well, one of the reasons why I, I realized what a special place Fordham was is because of that fraternity of guys. And, and I realized soon after, even while I was still there, um, you know, when guys that I mentioned, Mike Breen and, and Michael Kay and Bob Papa, they would come into the workshop and, you know, you'd think these guys are busy. They're, they're some of the, uh, the most successful people in our industry. Um, they're just going to kind of do their thing. They're going to, they're going to listen to our stuff and they're going to leave. But some of them were really encouraging us to stay in touch with them. And, and they meant it. It was genuine and you can feel that. And, and that was kind of an early, um, an early experience to where I knew that this, this fraternity of people that have come through these doors and have graduated from Fordham and our FUV alum really look out for each other. And, you know, now that I'm doing this for 20 some odd years, I'm, I'm trying to, to do the same, uh, to do what those guys did for me. And um, some, some really special friendships, obviously, you know, guys that, you know, Tony Reale, a year ahead of me, um, Connell McShane was someone I looked up to a couple of years ahead of me. Now he's doing just unbelievable things in the news industry, which back at that point, we never would have predicted. I mean, Connell was was a guy that all of us looked up to. He was so good as a play-by-play guy and in sports. And then suddenly overnight, he became this, this new sensation. So um, Andrew Bogish, Mike Yam, yep. uh, God, so many, Michael Maffey was, uh, was someone who really, really helped me early on at Fordham. And then of course, Bob Aarons, who was kind of like our, our grandpa, who you know, always had our back and, and was always advocating for us you know, to get access to the pro teams and I don't know where any of us would be at, you know, of my group without Bob, uh, some of the early work that, that, that he did for us. Um, in terms of the training, absolutely. You know, I, I get ready for a game now and I can still hear Marty Glickman's voice in my head telling me scoring time. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get a chance to do a ton of radio anymore, but the other night I had a chance to do the Thursday night football game. And I, I, went back and I, I looked at some of my notes from Marty, you know, for, from, I think my sophomore year at Fordham. And he, he was such a stickler for the details. The, the great thing about Marty Glickman for, for any of, you know, people of, of your generation who don't know, I mean, he was Marv Albert before Marv Albert and he would come into to Keating hall, this, this larger than life broadcast uh, presence and would listen to our stuff and he wouldn't sugarcoat. I mean, he would, he would let you have it if he thought that you didn't have a good broadcast and so when Marty was positive and when he was encouraging of your work, you knew that you'd really done something. So I, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, the other night before the game, as I was preparing, I could still hear his voice. I could still hear some of the teachings and, and some of the things that he imparted. So that, that has stayed with me all these years later, you know, however many years it is. 
That's awesome. That's so cool, <laughs> so cool. that you mm. to continue to use. Uh, I mean, obviously, Marty Glickman is a legend in the broadcasting industry. Of course. Um, that's awesome. You still use the notes from sophomore year. Mm. Uh, it never, never really gets old, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, and another uh, thing Marty told me, you know, self, self-critiquing is, is yeah. so important. You know, I, I still listen and watch games that I do and make my little list if, if I hear something I don't like. And that's how we get better. I mean, that's, that's the minutia of, of this. So, and I, I always tell broadcast students, the first thing I say is, you know, you really got to sit and have a conversation with yourself and make sure that you really are committed to this because this is, you know, we know how cutthroat it is. We know how competitive it is, how difficult it is to get the jobs, but to get to that point, because once you, you know, it's one thing to get a job, it's another thing to hold it. You really have to be committed to the work and, and to the grind. And you want to have to, you, you want to want to get better at this. You know, you, you shouldn't be doing this for a paycheck. You shouldn't be doing this for, for any other reason than just the love of the work. And it's almost like an athlete. You know, you, one of the great things about this, you get to cover great athletes. And I, I was with the Lakers and I, I got to watch Kobe Bryant up close for six years. And the thing that I really respected about him was after the 81 point game, for instance, I'll never forget walking into Staples Center a couple of days later, their next game was against the Indiana Pacers. And it was just kind of a ho-hum game um, in, in late January. And Kobe was there more than three hours before the game. The only guy on the floor, the only guy in the building you know, dripping in sweat three hours before the game, going through his pregame routine. And that's when it really struck me. That was my first year. It was like three months into my first year with the team to where I just sat back and just was in awe of, of the work that he and the best of the best put in to get to where they are. And, and I don't think it's any different for our thing to get to want to get better and to improve. You got to, you got to put the time in, you have to be committed to it. It's great advice. I uh, we appreciate it as always. Um, hearing from guys like you, because I mean, you're uh, you are basically our uh, equivalent for you know the guys like Marty Glickman and all those um, other successful mm. uh, WFUV alum. So I'm not. I'm, I, I appreciate it. I'm not definitely not worthy. Marty's Marty's <laughs> a god. He's a legend. He is. He is widely respected yeah. as one of the mm. goats. But um, kind of like created the entire sports broadcasting. Uh, yeah, profession, which is amazing um, mm. that we have that opportunity to learn from him. But uh, I want to focus now on the earlier aspects of your career, because you kind of got your first national TV exposure covering the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens mm. for NBC at the age of just 24. So, I mean, that must have been an, an amazing experience. Uh, I, I'm wondering what specific aspect did you work on or like in what capacity did you work for these those Olympics? And what was it like to gain that kind of experience at such a young age? Well, the, the reason, Thomas, first of all, you know, to get that opportunity just in and of itself, right? I mean, just once in a lifetime, you, you could do this for 30, 40 years and never get an opportunity like that again. So that just in and of itself, amazing. The other unique part about that, that really took it to this level of surrealness for me was that I, I am Greek. I'm Greek American. Half my family lives in Greece. My mother's side still lives there to this day. And ever since I was a baby, we would go and spend the summers in the village uh, where my, both my parents are born and raised, um, about 90 minutes from Athens. Uh, so I would have been there that summer like we spent every summer growing up with my family. So instead of hanging out in the village with my family, I was in Athens uh, working at the broadcast center 
for NBC uh, broadcasting Olympic events back to the United States. So, uh, you know, whatever I do for the rest of my career that summer, you know, if I have to make a list of like the, mo- the five most amazing experiences I've had, that, that goes right to the top of the list just because of the family and being able to share it with my parents and cousins and aunts and uncles. It, w- it was just so amazing. In terms of what I, in terms of what I did, I did all different kinds of events. And I learned very quickly that when you work for NBC and that you're at the Olympics, you become a pinch hitter and like a utility player. So (laughs) they told me initially I was going to do women's field hockey, which I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I don't know anything about women's field hockey. (laughs) So I had to, you know, hit the research and and hit the books to, to get myself up to speed. Then when I got there, um, there was one day where the person who was doing fencing got sick. So I got called in to do fencing less than 24 hours before, I think, the semifinals uh, of the women's bracket. So another nerve wracking experience where I had to kind of learn as much as I could, you know, pick up the basics. And so it was that kind of experience. Uh, There was another time where they sent me to constitution square in athens to interview people they knew that i spoke greek so they wanted to take advantage of that and i became kind of the reporter on the street uh, for certain events and certain uh, periods of the olympic game so it, it was just it, it was just awesome i mean from from every level and uh, those are those are days and weeks that i still think about and, and i think I'm, I'm gonna think about for the rest of my life uh, what a way to start your career spiro and since then you've done so much i mean like you mentioned, being a utility player, you've done so many things, studio hosting, NFL Network, radio broadcasting, Lakers. You've done the international broadcast for Super Bowl before. You've done so many things, been all over the world. So what's next for you? I And I, I know that's kind of a hard question, but where do, you, mm. where do you see yourself in the next five years? How do you keep looking for new opportunities and new experiences with, within the sports broadcasting field to challenge yourself and to keep yourself interested in your career? Yeah, Kelly, I think it's a great question. It's, it's a question that, that I've been asking myself almost constantly since, since even before I left Fordham. Um, the one thing I have tried to do as I've gotten older, and I hope a little bit wiser, is to try to focus less on what the next step is and just stop and smell the roses. Because I think back to the early couple of years um, when I was out of Fordham and I was getting all of these unbelievable opportunities rather than enjoying it and just kind of relishing where I was, I was always obsessed with what is the next step? You know, where do I go from here? Because as great as those first few jobs were, I was never the frontline guy. I was, you know, the backup uh, play-by-play guy behind uh, the great Iron Eagle, who's become a mentor for me. I was hosting a couple of shows for NBA TV, which was amazing, but I was not like the, the frontline person. I was always kind of the backup fill-in guy. And I don't think, you know, I look back and I, it just makes me a little sad that I didn't, you know, I didn't appreciate maybe and didn't, under, didn't, um, didn't enjoy uh, that period of my career. So as I've gotten older, I've really tried to stop and enjoy where I am and just realize how fortunate we are to have these jobs and to have these positions and to work for the Lakers and to, to realize my dream of working uh, at the garden and calling Knicks games and getting a chance to get to know Mike Breen on a closer personal level. Um, And so that's kind of what I've focused on the last couple of years in terms of the future. My my goal all along was to be a network play-by-play guy which I've had a chance to do with CBS now for a number of years. And, and I wanted to be the voice of a team. So 
Fortunately, I've been able to check those boxes with multiple teams, you know, two flagship franchises in the NBA, which, which is just a, a dream, you know, Lakers and Knicks. And uh, in terms of the future, I mean, if nothing changes for me, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy that's, that's ever lived. Um, so, you know, anything that comes my way at this point, I'm just, uh, I'm just super happy and, and just trying to relish where I am and enjoy. Yeah. Well, Spiro, honestly, I mean, we could probably pick your brain for days, just <laughs> mm-hmm. the, uh, the amount of awesome experiences you've had outside of WFUV and even within WFUV. But um, we know that you have places to be. We got to finish this show. So we're going to end it here. But we appreciate it so much uh, that you took some time to come back uh, to one on one and talk with us for a bit. Thanks, Thomas. I really enjoyed it. And Kelly and uh, it just it's just all, I'm in awe of, of the talent level at FUV every year. It gets better and better. And I can just tell from from watching you guys and how you're handling the show that uh, you got big things ahead of both of you. So I'm excited for you. Really great to meet you guys. And, uh, and hopefully I'll see you in person at some point.